we are in the last week of a series that we are calling Taking Back Monday. And we're doing this series because a lot of people see work as a necessary evil. Uh, Work isn't something we give ourselves to, but it's something that we've just kind of resigned ourselves to. It's just what we have to do. We don't go to work to give our all. Uh, We go to work because scratch-off lottery tickets haven't really paid off yet, or because that rich relative hasn't passed away and left us us that big old pile of money that we're entitled to. Uh, But what if work could actually be something meaningful and purposeful, an important part of our lives that, that we saw had a significant impact in the world around us? Well, that's what this series is about, taking back Monday from boredom, from dread, taking back Monday from being meaningless just beyond getting a paycheck. Because, believe it or not, God does care about work, and he cares about how you spend this significant amount of your time and how it affects your life. And he has a purpose for you there, which I think is important to note, because we can endure at work, even if it's difficult, even if it's hard, as long as we see the purpose in it. Uh, Humans are very good at enduring under difficult circumstances as long as we see and feel the purpose in it. Now, um, the purpose at work, let me give you, if you want the long explanation, let me say this. If you want the long explanation for your purpose at work, you can go to our website, loamicc.com resources, and listen to last week's message. But here's the short answer, the short version, is that your purpose at work is to represent Christ to the people you work with. Your purpose at work is to radiate the character, nature, love of Jesus to the people you are going to be around every day. Now, uh, This is just something that Christians are supposed to do all the time, but it also applies at work. If we're going to be followers of Jesus, then we need to actually be following him, and we need to become more like him and look like him. We need to model his character and his integrity. We need to show the actual life change that he brings into the the believer by actually being somebody who is willing to grow every day, someone who's willing to apologize for mistakes and show progress as we work closer uh, to getting closer and closer to being like Jesus so that our life hopefully begins to overflow with things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It means that you represent his sacrifice by being a selfless person, a servant to the people that you work with, and that you use whatever gifts and tools he has put at your disposal to share Jesus and help people understand the true nature of Jesus. That includes your language. Okay, I think that's a big one. Now, as a pastor, I don't hear a lot of bad language because you're all in church, but I know. I know how things are. I know you go to work in whatever culture you're around. I, uh, I grew up being the most efficient sponge of whoever I was around, and I would become like the people I'm around. That's a little bit of human nature. Some of us are better at it than others, but we don't radiate Christ by being like everybody around us. We radiate Christ by being like him. It means we work hard because that's what people of integrity do. If you get a job and you say, I will work this many hours for this much money, then work then do what you said you would do. It means that our attitude toward others should reflect Christ, not reflect how they treat us and what they deserve, how they deserve to be treated. It means that you react in different ways to your impossible boss than maybe other people would. And let me just say this as a free little side note to the sermon. I think sometimes how you react better reflects Christ in you than how you act. Because you can kind of plan how you act, but sometimes how you react is just 
what comes out. And how you react will show your relationship with Christ more often than how you act. Now, let me show you where I kind of learned how this purpose exists, that this purpose existed. And I wouldn't even say that I learned it by studying the Bible. I learned it by going to work. When I graduated from college, and before I came to Loami, there was a little bit of a gap. Um, and so um, I, would, I was preaching at a small country church, about 30 people every weekend. And, uh, and then I would work at a restaurant as a server through the week. Now, because I worked on Sunday mornings, I didn't ever have to work the Sunday lunch crowd. Now, in a small town, who's the Sunday lunch crowd? Church people, right? In fact, the, the biggest gripe you would hear at my home church growing up if somebody preached too long was that the Methodists are going to beat us to the buffet. You know, they, people would, they were fearful that they were going to have to stand in line five minutes for their chicken parmesan. And so that was the big complaint at my home church. But I never had to work the Sunday lunch crowd. But I would go to work with the servers through the week that had to work on Sunday, and they would all complain about how awful the Sunday lunch crowd was. They said the church people were the absolute worst customers. Said they were mean, they were unforgiving about mess-ups and orders, which, by the way, that's just what happens. If you, if you are unforgiving, I think you need to go work at a restaurant for a while. That'll teach you to be a little bit more forgiving. I think that should be, like, mandatory, by the way. You get in high school or college, and you should have to be a server at a restaurant for, I don't know, six months or a year just to teach you the ways of the world and to teach you to appreciate. Um, but I said Christians were unforgiving about small uh, mess-ups and orders. They uh, would voluntarily make very snide, very personal comments to their servers about things like hair color or a tattoo. Things like, you know, when I was your age, I would have never gotten a tattoo like that because of what it said about a girl. Implying, you're very easy, and I feel like I can tell you that because you're bringing me my lunch? Like, I don't know why they felt the need to be able to volunteer that personal jab right to the gut of somebody when they didn't know them. Somebody who's trying to make some money. Uh, Christians at the church crowd, on top of being demanding, on top of being mean, on top of, make, on top of making it personal and cruel, were also the, the worst tippers it's like it wasn't even worth it to work the lunch crowd. The only reason they worked the lunch crowd is because the, the owner said, well, if you want to work here, you're going to have to work the Sunday lunch crowd. I was the only person who got out of Sunday lunch and was like, well, I have to go preach, the God, preach God's word, so I'm sorry. I get to bow out of that. But what I started to notice in the complaints of my coworkers was how important it is for Christians to model Christ-like behavior. And if we do a rotten job at it, it makes non-Christians never give Jesus a second look. It makes them not see the grace and life change and hope that exists in a relationship with Jesus. It makes them just think, why would I ever go to church with those people? And they never even get to Jesus and his salvation and his grace and his goodness. Why? Because we can be rotten examples at times. And so I kind of began taking the opportunity that was given to me when they complained to say, well, I'm sorry that happened to you. And yes, they aren't doing a very good of mo job of modeling Jesus. Christians are supposed to try and look like Jesus and be loving and kind and forgiving and meek and humble, not what you guys are telling me you've experienced. And I'm sorry that that was the case. And I began to kind of healthily see, tell them, like, not all Christians are perfect, and I did a rotten job out of it, at, of it at times too, but we should at least be trying our hardest and understanding that as we leave, if we are going to wear the name Christian or go out to church, uh, lunch after church, when everybody knows it's the church crowd, we should at least acknowledge that we are going to take Jesus with us everywhere we go, and people will judge him based on how we act. 
And so I began seeing it my responsibility at my workplace to represent Jesus very, very well. And so my purpose at work, it didn't come from my work. It didn't come from my employer. Kira, the lady who owned the restaurant, and her husband who often ran the grill, they were great people, great workers, but they did not give me the purpose at my job. My purpose came from God. And the same is true, if you're a Christian, the same should be true of you. And if you're, if you're not loving your job, if your boss is mean, if your boss is cruel, if the work is mind-numbingly dull, again, at least you can endure if you have purpose there. That's a, it, it's, it's important for us to see that purpose. And nothing will change the way you view work and live at work like acknowledging and accepting and experiencing and living out that purpose. So that's the why we go to work. Now, the Bible has also a lot to say about how we go to work. Like, how should we work? Um, in the first week of the series, we learn this simple truth, that God made humans for work. That God intended work to be a part of our lives from the very beginning. Before he even made humans, he knew that we were going to be people who work. And that means something about work was supposed to be a blessing to us. And as you go through uh, the Bible and you just kind of pay attention to people working, Times where work is referred to positively or where people who are working are referred to positively, you kind of figure out that there's really only one way to work according to the Bible, and that is hard. You work hard. That's, that's the all, it, even if it's not expressly stated in Scripture, it's always kind of like this side understanding that people who work, if they're doing it right, they're working hard. Like, you don't go home at the end of the day with a, a super skip in your step like you just bounced out of bed. You go home a little bit like, whew, I did my work today. I, I, it wore me out a little bit. It took me down a notch because I gave my all at work. And so today I want to take this, this God made humans for work, and I want to take it just one little tiny bit farther. Hard work is necessary for human fulfillment. Hard work is necessary for human fulfillment, which is different, I think, than a lot of us think. Okay, I think a lot of us would like to take hard work out of there and put rest. Rest is what's really necessary for human fulfillment. I was telling somebody uh, this morning, uh, last Sunday, my boys were gone. They, my wife took them over to uh, her folks' house for the weekend. And Sunday morning, and I'm usually up and at them early because even if I don't make myself get up early, the kids, since they don't have to be up for school, they're going to get up at like 5.30. That's just how kids are. And uh, last Sunday, I like slept. I kept snoozing my alarm like 20 times, and it was great, and it was wonderful. And I got more rest on a Sunday morning than I have gotten in probably um, since I became a minister when I wasn't sick, I guess. Um, but but um, we think rest is the thing that makes life worth it. Vacations are the things that make life worth it. Those are the key to human fulfillment. We think three-day weekends with nothing to do, having snacks on hand, feet propped up, binge-watching something on Netflix, that's the key to human fulfillment. We think uh, that, that all of these things are the key. Well, as good as rest feels, as good as it feels to have a three-day weekend or to uh, prop your feet up on the couch and kind of zone out for a few hours, as good as toes in the sand with a drink in the hand may feel, you cannot Avoid the fact that God created us for hard work. God created us to do hard work. And like I said, the Bible has a lot to say about people who work hard, but it has a lot to say about people who don't. In fact, there's a, a specific person, the Bible gives him a, a nickname, calls him the sluggard. Sluggard. You hear the word in there, right? Slug. Like, I've, I've never heard a compliment with the word slug in it. If you got one, 
feel free, throw it at me. But I can't, I, I've never heard anybody say, man, that's awesome, like a slug. Like, see, there's nothing there. There's no compliment. And so um, they call them the sluggard. And the sluggard is somebody who doesn't take the opportunity to work. Now, the sluggard is not somebody who can't work because of a disability or somebody who's, you know, wants to work and just can't find a job. The sluggard is somebody who has the opportunity and the ability to work, but is passing on that opportunity at every turn. So it's somebody who doesn't work, or at least somebody who doesn't work very hard. And so the Bible calls him a sluggard. Here's a couple of verses. Um, Proverbs 22, uh, verse 13, talks about um, the excuses that a sluggard will make to not have to work hard. And this one is a little funny to me. The sluggard says, there is a lion outside, or I shall be killed in the streets. And that doesn't make a lot of sense until you add in the boss's side of the conversation. Why didn't you come to work today, Gary? There was a lion in my front yard. You will never believe it. I was scared to get in my car because there's a lion. Well, Gary, you live in central Illinois, and no one's ever seen a lion roaming in central Illinois. I'm sorry, but I don't believe you, okay? Or, Marilyn, why didn't you come to, to, to work today? Well, you know, I was afraid there was this angry mob outside my house, and I was afraid I was going to get killed. Well, everybody else seemed to made it to work today. There was nobody else that had an angry mob, and I haven't seen anything on the news, so maybe, maybe your excuse is not quite valid. But it's saying that this is a person who will make any excuse, how, no matter how ridiculous it sounds, to get out of going to work. The first thing I thought of when I read this verse was, um, it sounds silly, but National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, which is a movie I will not re- endorse from the pulpit, but I will acknowledge that I have seen it hundreds of times. Um, <laughs> But, you know, there's, there's a moment where uh, Cousin Eddie shows up, you know, in his RV. Don't you fall, fall in love with that, Clark, because we're taking it with us when we leave here next month. And so he, uh, I could keep going, but I won't. And so um, Cousin Eddie's there, right? And so Clark and his wife, Ellen, start talking about how Eddie and his wife, Catherine, don't have any presents for their kids for Christmas. And Clark says, uh, how can it be that they have nothing for their children? And Ellen says, well, he's been out of work for close to seven years. And Clark says, in seven years, he couldn't find a job. And Ellen says, well, Catherine says he's holding out for a management position. <laughs> and, and again, that's making fun of not somebody who's trying to find work and can't. It's making fun of somebody who just really doesn't want to work, who's probably had the opportunity and is trying to get out of it. And so you, you, you watch that scene and you're like, really, Eddie? Really, buddy, you couldn't get anything done. And, and you might say, well, that's not me because I have a job and, and I work, I go to work, and so I'm not a sluggard. Well, the same thing can apply to you if you have a job. Because let's say you work, but you don't exactly give it your all, okay? Last week we found the statistic that said that 69% of American workers admit to wasting significant time at work whether it's Facebook, taking the long way to the bathroom, or whatever it is, 69% of people admit to wasting significant time at work. Well, if you are one of those people, eventually you're either not going to get all of your work done, or you're not going to get your work done very well, and somebody's going to notice, and a boss is going to come to you and say, what's up with your work? Why is your work so sloppy? Or why didn't you get that project done? Well, you know, the, the real reason is because... Jim over there didn't give me what I needed, the papers on time to get the thing done. And, you know, I would have done it if it weren't for, I've been sick, you know, and um, if it wasn't for, and you come up with all the excuses as to why you didn't get it done. You know how many people have called into work and their parents have died like 20 times? Because, I can't get to work today because of this. And they've used that same excuse over and over and over again. Uh, I, I grew up watching the show M.A.S.H., 
I don't know if you've ever, how many of you have seen MASH, but um, there's the guy that always wants to get out of the army, Klinger, and um, one day he's, he's given, a, he, every day he's got a new excuse as to why he needs to go home, and um, he says, let's see, I think he's got a dying brother and a pregnant sister or something all in this one, one little swoop here. And the colonel pulls out a fine. He's like, let's see here. Your mother died last fall, you know. Um, last year, your brother was dying. Last year, your sister was pregnant. Oh, here's an oldie but a goodie. Last year, half of the family was dying and the other half was pregnant. This is so good, you know. Always having an excuse to not want to give your all. So you could even have a job and technically still be a sluggard. But the most telling thing about a sluggard comes in Proverbs 13, 4. And it says, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Notice it's not talking about the practical stuff. It's not talking about the necessities of life, like food, clothing, and shelter. Um, It's not just talking about a paycheck here. It's talking about something that exists deeper. That, that, that work somehow is a blessing for your soul. And that when you are a sluggard, when you are lazy, your life will not find fulfillment. It will not find a, a fit. It will just feel like something is missing. Like you, you're always chasing and never getting it. Why? Because work was good for your soul. You were intended to do some level of work. Now, I want to just toss this in. I've said it every other week. I might as well say it this one too. When I say work, I don't necessarily mean mean nine-to-five job. You go in, you clock in, you clock out. I do mean that, but not just that. Some of you, you don't have a nine-to-five job, whether you're a stay-at-home parent, or maybe you're retired, or maybe you're young, too young for that. You're still in school, and you don't have that job. There are still other ways to work. Um, if you're a stay-at-home parent, God bless you. You're tired all the time because you, you're already working. Your kids don't give you an, op- an option, right? You just have to work, right? Um, if you're retired, there's a reason why most of the people I know that have retired only stayed fully retired for like a year, and then they found something to do. Why? Because that work, even if they're not getting paid for it, whether they're volunteering it, maybe like Lewis Memorial or helping out at the camp or something, that work, hard work, adds something to our lives. We were meant to not just exist and sit. We were meant to live and contribute and work hard. And it does something good for our soul because hard work is necessary for human fulfillment. And you might say, okay, Anthony, you've been banging this drum of hard work. I feel like I work hard. I feel like I never stop working. And what do, you, what do you think? Did the guys who wrote the Bible just expect me to work like a dog every, all day, every day, until one day I just keeled over dead at my desk or in my workplace? Like, what? Is that what you're saying? No, no. But they, as much as that's not great either, they don't want you to idolize nonstop work. But at the same time, they don't want us to idolize nonstop rest either. There's meant to be a balance here. In fact, in scripture, you see a very clear balance between work and rest. We weren't meant to be workaholics and we weren't meant to be sluggards, okay? But our lives are about finding a balance or a healthy rhythm between work and rest. And all throughout scripture, there is a repeated rhythm that God seems to hint at for us. And it's six days work, one day rest. Six days work, one day rest. Maybe I'll add a word to that, six days of hard work and one day of rest. And I acknowledge that most of us have five days of a job and then two days of weekend. But even on at least one of those days, you're probably doing housework or yard work. You're still working. You're still doing something or volunteering somewhere. Some people come to church and help out. Okay, There's still work on those other two days. So I think the, the rhythm will hold up to some extent. But this is a rhythm that we see over again. 
over again. Old Testament, it's even hinted at in the New. It's not commanded necessarily in the New Testament, but it's definitely present. But the first hint of this rhythm shows up in Genesis chapter 2. In the first week of this series, we looked at Genesis 1 and and how God made all the things uh, for the first six days, and he called them good. And this is the seventh day. It says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And so we see God kind of uh, establishing this rhythm by his behavior, and then one book forward in the Bible, in the book of Exodus, um, kind of one of the first times God is giving explicit, direct commands to his people, he gives them the command for the Sabbath. The word Sabbath is something that most of us have heard. If you're a church person, even if you're not, I think the word Sabbath is getting is somewhat present. Um, excuse me. It comes from a Hebrew word that means cease or desist. It means stop. Nothing. And, and I think that's an interesting uh, Hebrew thing there. I, I, I would appeal to Ben on how to pronounce the Hebrew words, but you don't want me to try. But I think the Sabbath, the, the Hebrew word, if you just for kicks want to know, it's, I think it's Shabbat. Sure. All right. You've heard it here. I've gotten, uh, he's had a Hebrew class or two, so he's an expert, so he, he's given me my approval for Shabbat. It's probably horribly wrong. But in Exodus chapter 20, we see God commanding his people, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, meaning all your work, meaning you view six days like it's fenced off and all your work has got to be contained in that box of six days. Six days you shall do all your work, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. And pay attention to who can't work, okay? This is hilarious to me. You're not going to do any work. You, your son, or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock. Even the cows get a day off. This isn't just a command for people. This is like a all over creation mandate. Everybody, even the pigs, get a day off. Or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day to make it holy. The Sabbath was created for a time for us to step back from work and to remember, one, that God made everything, that he's in control of everything. He's the ultimate provider of all things. It's to remind us that we should be able to trust God enough that we can take ourselves out of the work equation and know that we will still be cared for. That our success in life doesn't 100% depend on our work. That God, we are still dependent upon Him for the blessings in our life. Now yes, how hard you work makes a difference. I mean, there's, there's clearly verses that say, if you're a sluggard, your life's not going to go great, okay? But if you're a good hard worker, you can afford to take a day off because even when you take the day off, who doesn't take a day off? God. It's, it, it, we should be able to trust him to handle a day. That's why we Christians, we should be the best sleepers ever because we should be able to know, I'm going to turn off, but God's still got my back even while I'm sleeping. So I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'm going to hand it over to him and I'm going to check out for a solid eight. We should be really, really good sleepers in that sense. But what I've noticed more and more, because I've, I've talked about not working, but what I've noticed more and more, I think, among people is work following people home. 
And I'm not saying that will never happen, okay? Um, I will notice that this time of year, we, we tend to get a little, few less farmers coming to church. Why? Work just kind of tends to bloom over more than just the six. There's a time limit on the crops. I get that there will be seasons of your work life when work is more hectic and it's going to bleed over maybe into the rest of your time. But for the most part, I just notice more and more people whose work is following them home. They take the laptop home, they get out the phone, you know, and work is so, everything is so mobile now. We can do more work in a parking lot with our phone than ever before. And I can't help but wondering if maybe that statistic that 69% of people waste time at work doesn't have some sort of a connection with the fact that I notice more and more people having work follow them home. And I wonder if we truly embraced our purpose to be godly, integrity-filled people at work and we put in our full effort when we went to work and we did all the work that we had to do, that maybe we would be able to go home without work following us home. Because when you waste time and you don't get your work done, the work bleeds over to Friday, and then it ruins your Friday night, and maybe your Sunday afternoon as you're trying to get the project done or whatever it is done, paperwork filed, whatever, and then it kills your rhythm. And it's all work and no play, and that's not God's intent either. And so the goal is then to be fully present at work so that when work is done, when you've done all your work in those six days, you can fully rest you can fully come home. You can fully engage with your family. You can fully relax and not be all pent up about what your boss is going to say about that stuff you didn't get done or the fact that there's a pile of papers on your desk because you know you weren't a part of the majority that wasted a bunch of your week doing nothing. Or you can come home and actually have your kids look forward to you getting home rather than running to their rooms when they hear the garage door opening because they know mom or dad going to be grumpy because they're always stressed out about work. You see, this rhythm is not just because God wants us to follow more religious hoops. That's not what it is, or jump through more religious hoops. That rhythm is for us. The way Jesus puts it, he says, man wasn't made to keep the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man as a blessing from God. It was given to us as a gift that we were meant not just to work hard, but to also have those moments to breathe, to rest from our work, and to enjoy the rest of the other parts of life. And so we need to find God's rhythm. We need to work hard, and we need to rest fully. We need to give our all at work, and we need to check out when it's time to check out and trust God in the gaps. And so for some of you, what that's going to mean is you need to work harder. You need to focus more at work. You need to quit daydreaming about where all the, all the other places you'd rather be and do your work. For some of you, <coughs> excuse me, for some of you that are maybe working over the top. Maybe it's because you don't trust God enough to handle the gap if you were to step out of work for a day, for a minute. You think, if I don't work hard, I'm not going to be successful. And if I don't work hard, my family's life's going to fall apart. If I don't work hard, we're not going to have enough money for this or that and the other. Maybe you need to trust God with the rhythm and you need to step back and say, God, I'm going to take a day off and I know that you got it. Neither one of these are healthy. Neither one of them are a blessing to your spiritual life. But when we enjoy God's rhythm, when we obey God's rhythm, it will be a blessing to your life. And again, I'm not sure that true human satisfaction and fulfillment can be found outside of God's rhythm. There's a reason he made it that for us. We were not meant to spend all of our life checking out. We were not meant to spend all of our life with our nose to the grindstone. There's a healthy balance there. You see, I grew up learning from culture, and I say culture because 
my mom and dad were both hard workers, and both my grandpas were super hard workers. The story I always tell about my grandpa Bliss, that still to this day is one of the best examples of manliness I've ever seen. Old school manliness was, um, he got all of his teeth pulled because he needed dentures, right? He got all of his teeth pulled and went back to work. And he came home from work and his face was all swollen and black and blue and his eyes were almost swollen shut. And my dad said to him, he said, Dad, why didn't you come home? He said, eh, I'd have been just as in, I would have been in just as much pain at home. Might as well have been getting some work done. It's like, golly. It's like, I get a hangnail. It's like, man, maybe I need to stay home from the office today. Let this heel put a Band-Aid and some Neosporin on it because I'd hate to get a paper cut on the finger with a hangnail. Like, I, that's like, like what he did, that story still blows my mind of how tough he was. So I didn't learn it from my family, but what I feel I've picked up from culture is the real goal of life is to never work. The real goal of life is to have more time off than time on, that uh, the way you know you've made it is that when you have enough income or money that you never have to work again, that that was the true meaning of success, but that is not the picture of success the Bible paints either. But then you get the other side of the coin where you got people who never take a day off, never rest, and they're praised. You know, like, I think workaholism is one of the most praised vices in our culture. It's weird how we, we kind of have these two things that are incompatible going, and the truth of God is somewhere in the middle with the rhythm that he gave to benefit us, to benefit our family, to benefit our souls, and to benefit our relationship with him. Six days on, one day off. Work hard and rest fully. That is God's rhythm for your life. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for all that you give to us. We are grateful that you have provided for us a rhythm, a healthy pace for, for our lives. And I pray that we would be able to take that and apply that to our lives. And maybe some of us, I understand work is hectic and schedules are different and, and volunteering can, can make work in weird times and that maybe we won't ever get the full day off, but maybe we can find other bits of rest so that we can still find a healthy balance between serving you and, and serving our are uh, a need at a ministry or working hard at work and rest and sitting back and breathing easy and trusting you to, to take care of us in the meantime. And so, Father, thank you for this rhythm. May, may we be challenged and, and to, to correct any places that we're off track. It's amazing the excuses we can make in our lives. And few people will call us out on working too hard, but you will. And you tell us to find a rhythm. And oftentimes we'll get praised if we're in a place where we can do nothing. But you, you will not praise us for that. You will call us out and tell us to do the work that we are able to do when the situation arises. You call us to be people who work hard. And you make that hard work bless our soul because you built us to be people who didn't just spend their time sitting and existing, but getting up and living and contributing to the world around us. So help us, Father, to enjoy your rhythm, to be blessed by your rhythm so that we can finally be people who work hard and fully rest, people who are blessed in the depths of our soul that can stand back and bask in the satisfaction of the work that we've done and that we can sit back and bask in the power and mercy and providence of our God when we rest. So please continue to guide us in this as we try to hopefully find your rhythm. We pray all this in Jesus' good and holy name. Amen.